Um, okay, welcome, welcome, guys. Uh, this is uh, a great, a great day. We're here in Manhattan in um, the beginning of fall, and we've been trying to get together. We've been planning this for a number of months. Um, I'm here with Ben Allison and Alexis Quadrado, amazing uh, bass players and composers and mainstays here on the scene in um, New York City. So we're here at Ben's apartment to talk about music and life today. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. Hey, welcome. Bienvenidos. <laughs> this is great, man. I'm looking forward. You guys are both uh, professors uh, at the New School, correct? That's correct. Yeah. 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 He's but much more highly educated than I am. Well, I, I guess on paper, but that doesn't mean anything <laughs> or whatever if he does. Uh, uh, but yeah, our title is actually professor, right? So that's right. Yeah. So yeah, gotta own it. Nice work. <laughs> Way to go. And um, how long have you guys known each other? Oh, that I don't know. We, it's been my my memory is to have met you at one of the IAJE conferences about 2006 to 2005, something like that. At about that time, where I started a collective of musicians called Brooklyn Jazz Underground with other um, musicians in Brooklyn, and and of course one of our references was the Jazz Composers Collective that Ben had founded in the 90s, right? Right. Yeah, that was our nonprofit. That was our our musician collective started in 1992. Right. So, I mean, I was aware of Ben's work bef uh, much before I moved to New York. I moved to New York in 1998. So before that, you know, I, the first record I remember is that um, the Pianist Project. So, uh, the Herbie name. Nichols Project? The Herbie Nichols That's Project. Right. Yeah. yeah, with Jeff Ballard and, and Frank Kimbrough and was it Ron Horton and Trumpet? Yep, Ted Nash. Ted Nash, uh, right. I remember, was on a bunch of I remember seeing the CD and it's like, who are all these people? I, I guess it took like about 10 years to meet you after that. <laughs>
That's the one thing about bass players. We're not often on this in the same room at the same time, yeah. right? Because usually we're if we're playing concerts or playing uh, playing something, there's normally one bass player. Right. So. Except if you go to the the ISB, the International Society of Bassists conference, and then there you have like 500 bass players in the same room. You know? <laughs> Now, do you, do you guys think that in general you would say that there's a, com a camaraderie of bass players in, in New York? I, I find, um, just from what you just said, Ben, that I, you know, I think about that as a pianist sometimes, not being in the room with that many pianists, but I, for instance, see the drummers in New York seem to have a, sometimes a higher level of camaraderie than maybe the pianists. I don't know. What, what's your sense about the bass players? I always had very you know, good uh, relationships with m most bass players that, that I knew. I mean, obviously everybody has different personalities and stuff, but like ge generally people are very open and of course immediately you jump into talking about strings and which is what you, we just did when, when I came to Ben's apartment. Can I try your bass? Oh, these strings, the skin, the callus and this and that and the setup. And I think that there is a, there is a much, very high level of respect and, and appreciation for what other people do, you know. That's right. I mean, both Alexis and I are bass player composers, so we're kindred spirits musically. But, you know, we don't work together, really, in a way. But it's more like a mutual admiration society. So, like, I really appreciate what, what Alexis does, and I talk to a lot of bass players. When we see each other, we recognize, um, you know, our, our kindred spirits, but we don't actually do a lot of creative work together because it's not common to have two bass players on uh, one project.
that's so great. Well, yeah, like you said, you guys are both fantastic composers, and part of the you know the impetus for us coming here today is Ben has a brand new album that came out this summer on your label, Sonic Camera, your new newish label, mm-hmm. and um, the album's called Layers of the City, and it's great. I love it. Just like all your your albums, this is is this your thirteenth? Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's my twelfth album of my original tunes, and then yeah, and then I have um, uh, a couple other albums that I um, am co leader on that feature other music, like the Herbie Nichols Project, the right. one Alexis mentioned before. We did three records with that project. I had a record come out about a year ago, where um, a trio project that I lead. Uh, cooperatively with um, with a couple of musicians where we focus on uh, music of Jim Hall and Jimmy Jufri. But my personal music, the Ben Allison tunes, um, this is my 12th. It's a really great record. Like like all your records, it, it's, um, it, it's sonically, you know, delicious. <laughs> it's, um, it, it has a great cast of players. Um, every, every player has a, distinct space that they exist in musically, whether it's with the part, well, including the parts that they play and sonically without, without your music feeling overly composed. Everyone always exists in a nice space. And I love that about your songs. Stylistically, I've listened to it a couple times now. I listened to it when it came out and again, um, today. And I think some of your last few albums, if I, when I, when I heard them, I thought, oh, this is kind of a modern sound. This is a modern beat. Mm-hmm. This is, a, this is mo- what modern jazz is. I think that you've done a nice job on this record of combining, uh, you know, uh, with the tip of the hat to the past whilst staying modern. And anyway, the tunes are great. The playing is great.
most musicians um, are taking everything that they love, everything that they've heard, uh, absorbing it into their kind of concept of music and then putting it back out there. And yeah, I mean, some of my favorite music is music that I haven't thought about in a long time. So what happens is you reach a certain stage in your life where you start to kind of look back to figure out where you came from. And for me, that, that was part of what this record was about. It, this is the first record of, of original music for me um, in about three years. So in my career, I'd say I've been releasing a record about every 18 months or so. And uh, this time it was three years uh, since my last album. And in that time, I, I, I felt like I needed a, a chance to sit and just let my thoughts kind of uh, evolve naturally. And what happened was, maybe it's my age, you know, right now I'm 50. And when you're 50, you start, I think you start looking back a little bit. I was trying to remember where I was 20 years ago, you know, what it felt like to be there and going through my record collection, looking at my old vinyl records and figuring out um, what were some of my original inspirations. What was the music that turned me on initially to playing jazz? And I've been listening to that a lot, you know, so it, it comes out it comes out in the sound. Yeah, that's why you have so many records is you if you put one out every year and a half then they add up very quickly they add know? up pretty quick right in my, yeah. my case it's always been like it's taken me three to four years to put a record out because I, I'm just I always think I'm a slow kind of guy in in, in, in that sense and I, but I am I, I like being slow in a way you know and and um, I, I, there, there are cats out there like George Colligan. I think he has like 75 CDs under his name or that's something right. like that. It's Paul Blay like, would record two records in one recording that's session. That's right. You know, it's like, and they just <laughs> never stop. And it's like, wow, I, I just, I, I, I don't know how they do that, you know. But, but that's the beauty of the difference too, of like everybody has their own approach to, to what they do, you know. But I mean, I think that, that what Ben is saying is so, so true in the sense that, before you put something in my in my uh, sort of like ethos if you put something out it, you need to have a really strong connection with it no matter what and whether that connection comes from your inspiration and like blue note records or whatever that that, that it is that you liked uh, which to me that's the first thing that i thought when i heard your album by the way it's like mm. oh that sounds like a contemporary album with a blue note Yeah. approach you know yeah. kind of thing and and I, i remember listening to it in the car like two or three times and, and like and i mean I, i could think of about a few other bass player composers some very famous some completely unknown that you know that you you sort of think about music at, you know in this very honest way mm -hmm. so i i remember that one time at the iaje that we were talking that you know ben said something like the most important part of music for me is integrity Mm. Um, and I don't know if you, you remember that or if you know you would think that's no, bullshit now like, or whatever but it sounds, it sounds good. Really no good. I don't think that's <laughs> bullshit I think but that's I thought, real wow, that's a really that's a really great statement I remember thinking that at the time you mm. know 12 years ago or whatever it's like thinking that that's true like if you keep true to yourself and to what you like and what you love and you believe you know it doesn't matter what people think and what what happens with the actual project or the actual music but right. it it you know it feels good with your you feel good with yourself and you feel you can, as jim mcneely says you can live with it <laughs> <laughs> that's right Which is important. it's important yeah i can imagine like not like kind of hating your work it's I, i don't for me it's um almost like having a child yeah <laughs> you're you're pour, pouring your heart and soul 
into this experience and then you put the record out into the world and you hope they do okay yeah <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how i feel about it so mm. in, in a way it's it's an emotional experience to make a record for me when i'm doing it i'm in the moment i'm not really thinking about anything other than what it feels like to play and compose and work with my colleagues and then um and now I'm mixing my own records, so I'm thinking a lot about the sonics of it, and I'm making all these decisions about the way this, the record sounds, and then marketing it and just kind of putting it out there. And after you do that, you're, as an artist, you're essentially done. Your job is over. It's kind of abstract in a way, mm. right? Um, but you're trying to tell some kind of a story in this abstract way, and you're hoping that people go along with you on this journey. That's how I feel about it anyway. I want people to feel engaged by this music, and I want them to at least, whether they like it or not, I hope they like it, but even if mm. they don't, I at least want them to appreciate the fact that this is what I meant to say. like 
if you are true to you and and whatever you're doing it's going to be like your truth in in your relationship with music at that moment that's cool and sometimes i don't know i'm sure that happens to you ben someone will, will, will give you feedback about an album that you did 10 years ago or something that you think oh god that's so old and you don't even think about it and they'll oh i love that song from that album and you're like oh okay and then you check it out and maybe it's like it's not that bad because at that moment <laughs> that was the truth for you that's what keeps me moving as a composer and and more than as a bass player you know like put something out there that that means something to me in a, in a very, very deep, profound level as much as I can, you know? You bring up that word, tr the truth, you know, the, the word truth, because I, I, I don't think I've thought of it much like that, but hearing you say that makes me realize that like, we do have an advantage as jazz c composers, um, you know, like you said, music without lyrics or words almost all the time. Yep. I think we do have an advantage of being able to get to the core of what we're trying to write right. generally without too many uh, other hoops to jump through politically or commercially. Right. Oh, maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, like for, I'll give you the, the clearest example. You know, I struggled a lot to, to decide whether I wanted to record my last album, the, which is called Poetica. Cause it's like the most, it's like all the, the elements of it. Like, you know, if you're going to cook a meal, it's like, It's a recipe for for commercial disaster, basically. You know, it's like um, a, a, a Catalan poet singing, uh, not singing. I'm um, um, sort of like reading, speaking his work in Catalan. An American poet, and uh, the music is sort of like pretty out, all based in like serialism and and stuff. And it's uh, so it's this more kind of like avant-garde approach, which is very different than the, the other works that I've done. And, you know, with Cat so Catalan poetry, serial music, and avant jazz avant-garde. It's just like, it's a recipe for, like, nobody's going to like this shit, <laughs> that's, you know? That's, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> But I, and I struggled. It's like, well, do I do I do this or do I not? You know, because who's going to actually care about this? And it's such a radical departure of what the other projects I've done are. And at the end, I said, we can curse, right? I said, fuck it. I'm just doing this no matter what because I think that this is what I have to do now. This is what my my truth is right now and my project is right now. And I just did it. And it was hard, and, and, and you know, but I did it, and I'm happy that I did it. Yeah, good for you. And and just a little more about that. Poetica, it, it came out in 2016 on Sunnyside. That's right. And it featured two poets, um, Rowan and do you want to say there? Melcion. So Rowan Ricardo Phillips is the American yeah. poet, and Melcion Mateo is the Catalan poet. Okay, yeah. yeah, brilliant, great, great, amazing people, brilliant, smart, uh, uh, really goofy at the same time, and really deep at the same time. And like they, you know, we really collaborated in 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 the sense of how poetry and music could like be a comp an, an improvised composition yet like in, in the same way that the jazz standard is you know like you have the, some elements that are always there the song is always going to be there and yet you know it's different every time you play it because so those guys improvised their, their well they read but we were cueing each other in like we had to find a system in which you know the the the, the music The, the, the poetry is not rhythmically written in any way. Yeah. So we had like, sometimes we were playing stuff behind them that was written out. And if they were long, if they went longer or shorter, or if they, they were 
quieter or louder? How would we react to what they were doing? So we, we had to like sort of rehearse a system of communicating that that was obviously not written. It was really hard to write charts for that. Mm. Like, how do you write a chart for that? So hang in here until he lifts his hand or whatever. It was not quite like that. But yeah. there was this sort of like oral communication that kind of in the end it kind of happened magically and that was very cool i think that's i think we're good at that humans are good at that when when you're having a conversation with somebody for instance your the tone of your voice the melody of your voice the way right. you phrase something gives a lot of meaning to the other person mm. and then the way they react and where they put their hmm and their uh <laughs> is right in between what the person's saying and our our ability to time things like that, I think, is pretty profound. I listen to that a lot. I, one of the great things about living in New York is you can sit on a bench and watch people mm. and listen to people, mm. <laughs> you know, and you can hear people really from all different, uh, the four corners of the, of the globe um, and the way they talk to one another and the way they converse. And I think for me, that's one of the things that drew me to jazz and instrumental music in the first place was the idea of taking um, something that we all do naturally, that is spoken language and, and conversing um, and talking to one another with one another and tr trying to translate that in, into musical terms, right? And that's the beauty of instrumental music because there are no uh, lyrics and no words. Um, it's almost like um, an abstraction of what we normally do, but it's a fascinating world because um, some of the rules, the same rules apply. We listen to one another. We interject. Hopefully. Hopefully. That's right. <laughs> We're not rude. We don't interrupt. Um, you know, and, and we, we, we try to come up with a topic and then we let the conversation flow organically from that topic. But what that means in real terms, musically, is because it's much more abstract and there's no inherent meaning to a note, right? If I say, go to the store and buy some milk, that's a very specific thing, that it's a directive and everybody knows what milk is and everybody knows what the store is and everybody knows what go to means, right? But if you're just saying, if you're just saying something musically, if you're creating a melody or you're putting down a groove or the, the timbre of your instrument is conveying some meaning, it's meaningful, but it's not specific. It's abstract. And just for me, that's like endlessly fascinating how we can communicate through music as improvisers. And uh, I think we can all agree at this point, the three of us in this room, that we've dedicated our lives to this, right? I know I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. endlessly fascinated by it. And it's kind of the great joy of, uh, of playing improvised music. És un porc. Deixa la pica del lavabo plena de pèls. La tapa del vàter esquitxada i sovint es descuida d'estirar la cadena. No renta els plats fins que no són plens de verdet. Deixa els calçotets bruts al damunt del sofà. Una sabata sota, restes de porro a terra. Acumula diaris i revistes. Va perdre un dia el seu respai de dancing. Va demanar de fer servir el meu. Ni en broma. Cada nit el sentia masturbant-se al seu quarto i en acabat roncava fins l'endemà. Per sota de la porta s'escapaven les xinxes. Li vaig demanar, sisplau, que baixés el volum de tant en tant i em va dir, ben afaitat i fent-se un nus a la corbata. I got my hair, I got my head, I got my brains, I got my ears, I got my nose, I got my mouth, I got my teeth, I got my tongue, I got my hair, I got my head, I 
got my brains, I got my ears, I got my nose, I got my mouth, I got my teeth, I got my tongue. Yagara, sense of treuras of the auriculas, bafazi. Benvingut, fill meu, al imperi de Matsuiri. Observa el teu voltant i sàpigues que algun dia, estimat, i aquí es va donar mal pit i l'altre l'entrepuix. Tot això que veus, tot això que t'envolta, i el que no veus i ni tan sols imagines, serà teu, serà teu tot l'imperi, el meu imperi, l'imperi de Matsuini. So, uh, do you want to tell us about the the flamenco collaboration that 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 you've got going on, Alexis? I know Ben and I are really interested in this. To make a long, very long story short, so about ten years ago, about more than ten years ago, about twelve, thirteen years ago, um, my my relationship with music had been mostly through jazz, right, and some classical music, and that's about it. I grew up in Barcelona, and there is a flamenco scene in Barcelona, actually, the music school where I studied and then where I taught for six or seven years after graduating. Uh, Taller, Taller the music, uh, it has a, a, a flamenco sort of department or whatever. So and at the time, we were not, I was not realizing like how heavy some of the flamenco musicians that were there uh, uh, really are, you know? Like, I remember, like hanging out with Enrique Morente, who passed away a few years ago. as like one of the greatest singers of all times. And it's like completely aloof because I was just worried about Ray Brown and Charlie Parker and that kind of stuff, you know. That's a lot there, right there. <laughs> and it's like, so in my mind, it was jazz, 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 jazz. I moved to New York and it was like, you know, contemporary jazz and, and improvised music and instrumental music, all these things we're talking about. And then one day it just kind of hit me like, like, you know, lightning. It's like, oh shit, flamenco. Mm. it's like I, the blues it's like isn't it? it's it's like to yeah me, to yeah, my yeah. ears as a new yorker yeah when i yeah, hear yeah. flamenco music i hear blues yeah totally it is it has a lot of, of of connection with it so then i started a trio which was the completely most unorthodox flamenco trio which uh, with accordion electric guitar and bass mm-hmm, of course <laughs> um so it's sort of like as we say in Spanish, start the house by the roof as opposed to the foundation. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> so I started transcribing some music and, and we started playing it and we started playing a, a monthly gig at the at La Lanterna, the bar next door. Mm-hmm. I did that, did that for like two or three years and started and continued studying more, trans, uh, transcribing more. I would go to Spain, then try to talk to the flamenco musicians, and it was a very close. I found it was a very closed work world, you know. Closed world. World, very yeah. closed. Like they would not want to share much with right. you, and it was it was like that. So, at that point, I got a a grant from Chamber Music America. I made up this project that instead of a tree, it would be a nonad, and that it would have like all the styles of flamenco sort of like translated under my prism of jazz, new music, whatever. 
and I actually got the grants. It's like, mm. oh crap, now I actually have to do this, you know. <laughs> so that was my project, Noneto Iberico, which took me about a year to write and about two years to produce. And um, and in that project, I really kind of went a lot deeper into it and I understood much better what it was. And then because I already was that, I started getting more involved. And that sort of became part of my language. Like when I write, there is a lingering element of flamenco that sort of sneaks in there, whether it's harmonic or rhythmic or melodic or, or a form or a meter or something like that. And and I kind of it's just kind of become part of my identity as a writer. I've connected the last couple of years I've connected with some flamenco musicians here in New York who are, uh, especially with this guitar player Pedro Cortez who mm. is a real he comes from like a real gypsy family of flamenco musicians so so his great grandfather was a flamenco guitar player. And since he grew up, you know, um with Savicas who is like one of the greatest guitar players of all times. And he's kind of taken me under his wing and, you know, like he's told me now you're part of our family and, and he's accepted me into that. And that's a, it's, for me, it's a great honor because as I said, it's generally a very close community. And so now I just go every Thursday, they have a gig and I just go and sit in and there's no communication on what is going to happen. It's like very much so like a Are jazz. Are there like standard forms that yes, they do? Yes, yes, there are forms and styles. And, and so they'll tell you that this is the this is the style, you know, which is mm. solea or seguirillas or buleria or solea por buleria or tientos or something. And there's like all these families. So the first thing you need to understand is all the styles and what kind of harmonic and rhythmic and form wise. Right. So there are some expectations when you start to play. There's a lot of, a lot there, of there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Right. And as I was telling Ben the other day when we were talking about this, you know, in the jazz language when you're playing a blues and the piano player plays an E half diminished chord and the first beat of the second bar, you know what the next eight bars are gonna be like. Because right. that's the Charlie Parker blues. So right. here it's the same. You know, if the dancer does some give some cue, like they know exactly, and they're going to do all these crazy breaks. And, you know, I remember going to the Zing Bar to hear Portinho many years ago, mm -hmm. and that, that would be the same thing. You know, some guy would do something and they would break into this weird, right. and it's like, how the heck did they do that? You know, <laughs> how did they know? So, right. I mean, I think that's part, and that, that happens in Indian music a lot, but I'm still figuring out what the cues are, what they mean, and, and how to react to them. So at this point, I kind of, when I go to play with them, I play half of the time. Mm. The other half of the time, I just sit and, and hand, do the hand claps. And when I see something where I can get in, and then I turn the bass on and I, I play electric bass. So I start playing and then I join and then I stop again. So every day I've been playing more and clapping less. <laughs> that's the, so that's the long story short, basically.
como viene del África mi amor Era el momento de las cosas secas De la espiga en el ojo y el gato laminado Del óxido de hierro de los grandes puentes Y el definitivo silencio del corcho En la marchita soledad sin onda el abollado mascarón danzaba Medio lado del mundo era de arena Mercurio y sol dormido el otro medio Can I, can I ask you guys a question? What's your approach to practicing these days? I never practice. In fact, I don't think I've ever practiced. <laughs> Which is not, I shouldn't Jeez, admit that, you know, this is uh, the, the jazz professor Co speaking. Coming out, coming out with the truth. <laughs> I could be fired if, uh, <laughs> if the new school administration hears me say this. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of practicing. I mean, I, I always feel like uh, the idea of practicing in a way is like preparing to make music and I'd rather just make music. So in one sense, I've never practiced. In the other sense, I, every time I pick up my bass, I practice. In other words, even if I'm performing mm -hmm. in a concert, I'm practicing because I'm, I'm learning uh, how to play um, in the moment, on the job. I guess that's my attitude. I mean, the one thing I, I do, um, I try to do is, from a technical standpoint, is to you know work on my ears. So rather than like transcribe somebody's solo, or something, I might transcribe a, a composition or I might try to figure out what the voicing of, of, of something is or I may listen to something and try to figure out how it's been orchestrated, you know. And uh, just because you want to work on your ear and your ear is a muscle, right? And you need to exercise it and you need to kind of keep it strong. And um, so it's important to listen and to try to figure out what's going on all the time. But yeah, practicing in terms of repetition, not so much, I mean, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a good question. I think certain musical traditions, the idea of taking a, um, a a physical action and repeating it over and over and over again until you have this facility with it that you can do it, you know, quote unquote, perfectly every time, is is valid. But you know, I'd say the music that turns me on the most, the musicians that I listen to where I feel like, wow, I really appreciate what they're doing and I understand what they're doing, that's not how they're expressing themselves. It's not that they're playing the music perfectly. They have a perfect connection between what they wanted to do, their emotional center, and how it's expressed through their instrument. So John Lee Hooker, in my opinion, is a great guitarist. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, of course. Right? he's yeah. a great guitarist, but he's perfect. He's, perfect. he's yeah. not Segovia. It's a different style. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He's not Paco de Lucia. He's not. Right. He doesn't have a, a, a um, an outwardly flamboyant technical ability, right? But the, his ability to express himself through his guitar is very profound, and that's what I'm trying to get to on the bass. So I guess it's a, just a different way of looking at technique. The classical style of learning how to play an instrument is to study something and keep practicing it over and over and over and over again until um, you play it perfectly. Yeah. To me, I define technique as the ability to, to take what's in your heart and in your mind and, and, and put it through your fingers out into the world. Thank you.
What if you were to listen to somebody solo and emulate their phrasing without copying the exact Definitely, notes? I do that too. It's like, I, I, I actually, I do that particular exercise. Like, okay, now improvise a solo that copies this vibe, mm -hmm. copies the spirit of this person. You ever try to write a tune in a style? Like yeah, I, last definitely. week I, I thought to yeah. myself, I'm going to write like a Rogers and Hart style ballad. Right. Yeah, I've never great. done that before, and I tried yeah. to write a tune that right. sounded it's hard, like huh? it is hard, but it's 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 actually fun. it's fun. It was hard, but it wasn't that hard. I mean, it, it it wasn't hard in the sense that you know I've heard so many. We've all heard so many of those songs that we kind of understand some of the conventions, even if we're we haven't picked apart exactly what they're doing. Right. You know, if if you're emulating somebody's style. Um, I think that's a, a, an interesting way to learn as long as you're being conscious about it. I mean, as an artist, when you put music out there, you don't want to be too derivative. Right. Right? You don't want your stuff to be obviously derivative of somebody else because then it doesn't feel personal. And then right. people say, wow, that just sounds like a, you know, like a ripoff of somebody. Right? Right. You want to have something original to say. But I mean, I think the, the, the transcribing thing, if you, if you take it with a grain of salt and you're not trying to copy somebody, yeah. but taking away the information that you can, the concepts that you can extract. It, and it, I mean, if it's a soil that you like, then it's, it's great, you know? It's kind of opening a book and, and, and figuring out what you can do with that information. And, and isn't it interesting that, and in, one of the most fascinating things about the personalities in jazz music is that we're all coming from a different place, you know? Just right there, the two of you saying that, you know, the way you got to where you're at today is notably maybe with some different choices in, in what you in what you studied and how you approach the studies. Yeah. And that's what I think one of the one of the most beautiful things about jazz music. I think it jazz leaves a lot of room for people to find what they love and it's such a the music is so vast and there's so much variety um in the history of the music and the styles and the dialects and you know and now it's very much an international music and there's jazz musicians all over the world that there's so much room for us to, as musicians to explore and to find the things that we really love and to latch on to and say yeah this is my thing and it's always and jazz has always been a very inclusive music so that for alexis to tap into the flamenco scene and say, yeah, I'm going to bring this into the jazz world in my way. That's, yeah, man, that's like actually the tradition of jazz, in right. my opinion. The tradition right. of jazz, if I may be so bold as to proclaim, <laughs> is that it's a very inclusive music. It evolves all the time and it, it continues to change because jazz musicians through history have brought in all of these other kind of uh, influences, if it's right. Dizzy playing Afro-Cuban music and then right. the whole Brazilian, right. American jazz, and like between America and Brazil, the, the cultural and musical exchange that's been going on between these two countries is, is about as deep as anything that's ever happened in music, you know, through every other influence in jazz. And I mean, it's, it's funny too, because uh, there were people maybe 10, 15 years older than I am um, that started doing the flamenco and jazz thing. And one of them is Chano Dominguez, for example, mm -hmm. the piano player, so, who I met when I was in my early 20s, you know. And at that moment, he was inventing this. Mm. He was like the first guy who, you know, took a Thelonious Monk song and put it into a jazz compas, into a flamenco compas, sorry. Yeah. And, and that's what he did, you know. Uh, funnily enough, I've been playing with him for the last year or so because now he's moved to New York. But it was because of him he opened this door to 
say it's okay to do this. So in my case, I also wanted to depart from that mm -hmm. because I didn't want to do what Chano or my friend Perico Sambeat or Mark Meralta have done because that's already been done. That's another important part of the tradition of, of jazz, in my opinion, is that I think the what has been placed at the pinnacle of what jazz musicians aspire to do and to be is to be individuals. So if you think about the people who really uh, um, changed the music, they have all pursued something deeply personal and have in their own way changed the way we think about it. Right. And, you know, so that's... so. It's this evolution of the music that it keeps moving forward and keeps changing and that it's so vital and that, you know, it really is so multicultural at this point. So people yeah. are coming from all over the world and kind of adding to this collective conversation.
um, there were these two musicians in New Haven where I'm from that came in. Uh, uh, Willie Ruff, who's a bass player and French horn player, and Dwight Mitchell, who played piano. He's passed. And they had a piano and bass duo. And they came into my school and played jazz. I don't even remember what they played, but it's the first time I'd ever heard anything like it. And I, I have this very vivid memory of them playing together. Um, and at one point, somebody played something, I don't know which, who, but they both looked at each other and just started laughing. And um, I was surprised, but it occurred to me that they had surprised each other. That's the thing that I, I noticed. Like somebody had played something that was surprising to the other musician. These are guys that play together all the time. Um, they were presumably playing a song that they knew. I didn't understand that you could have a spontaneous conversation. I assumed that this was written out music or that it was like the Beatles, something that they had practiced in their garage for, for you know, 10 years. Um, and they had specific notes that they were supposed to play, right? But it became clear to me in that instant that they were surprising each other, that somebody had played something that the other person had not expected. And at that moment, I think I understood improvisation for the first time. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand how it worked. I didn't get how they did that. I had no idea, but I was fascinated. It was a mystery that I had to figure out how they did that. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, guys, I, I think we could. This has been an amazing conversation. Yeah, it's just um, hanging out. This is all great stuff, and um, I know all the, the listeners out there. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna check out a lot of your music. And you played in Mexico before, correct, Ben? With your with your band? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, Alexis, I've never played. Yeah. I want to go. Yeah, it, I definitely would Alexis, love to go. The 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 the, uh, the people down there that, that need to hear your your band. I, I think the Flamenco Project would be a massive hit down there. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. So um, Guadalajara is a great scene. Yeah, you, uh, Alexis. I hope you can go down soon because the fans are amazing. They're great. they're lovers of all kinds of music and supporters and. They just give you the greatest energy when you play. Fantastic! Yeah, I so will. I will try. We're gonna get. We're gonna get you down there. So um, great, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you, Eric. Pleasure. Yay! Yeah, Ben, Alexis. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> all right, all right. Take it easy, cats. <laughs>